Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. The last Sunday of our kind of standalone sermon series, we've been going through kind of this transitional series of, of just kind of doing standalones, of hearing from God and being able to speak that to the congregation as we've heard from God and we want to share with you. And uh, the next season that we're going to be heading into uh, we're going to be doing a series on the Old Testament names of God. And the series name is, is going to be called I Am. And uh, it's going to be about who God is and how God reveals himself to us in the Old Testament. And then also who we are because of who he is. And so if God is provider, that means that we are provided for, that he takes care of us, that he provides for our needs. But the major focus is going to be on God and his glory and who he is. And then we also just want to look at the application piece of like, well, what does that mean who we are? And so... The series is called I Am, and we're really looking forward to digging into that um, kind of for the next 12 weeks to bring us uh, to the Advent season. And so that's where we're going to be, and that's where we're going. So this morning, this morning is the final series of the Standalone. And just kind of a recap of where we've been. Uh, we started this series, the Standalone series, we're talking about Sabbath, talking about rest. And as I met with the worship team this morning, it sounds like this weekend is going to be a weekend where we get to enter into kind of some of that Sabbath rest place where, like, we've got a Monday off, and so we can actually, like, chill on Sunday, maybe even do a little bit of chilling tomorrow and really dive into a place of rejuvenation, rest of, of God pouring back into us and, and kind of stepping away from this go, go, go. And so my prayer for you guys this weekend is to enter into that, to enter in that place of rest and that place of Sabbath. Um, the next week, we talked about patience and trial. Um, we had uh, one of my good friends, Jake McClan, come, and he kind of retooled for us our imagination around patience and how God uses patience to bring us to a place of perfection for his glory and his purposes. And then um, the following week, we had Riley Olson, um, one of our own here, and he talked about heritage and legacy and how we have a spiritual heritage and legacy that we inherit when we're adopted sons and daughters of Christ, and how we need to live and walk out from that place of heritage and legacy, and then also pass that on to the next generation. And then last week, Shannon was here, and he talked about the sins of the tongue, and just um, how often we are kind of flippant with our tongue, and how we talk to one another, especially those that we're in like closest relationship with, oftentimes our husbands or our wives or people that we're just really good friends with, we will use language and conversation in ways that we would never use with anyone else ever. And Shana kind of called us out on that and said, hey, it's, this is not good. We need to be able to talk to one another, respect one another, and, and build each other up in the name of Christ and encourage one another. And that's, we don't do that through sinning, and <laughs> sinning through our tongue. And this morning, where I want to go is kind of trail back to this place um, that Jake talked about in this kind of patience and trial. And so when Jake was here, he redefined patience and trial by reading from James chapter 4. And so that's where I want to start this morning, James chapter 4. So in James chapter 4, verses 2 through 4, he says this. He says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let that steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now when you read this verse at first, like, and especially if you're in a place of trial, it can be incredibly, incredibly offensive and incredibly insensitive. Because what do you mean, count it joy when I face trials? 
What do you mean that God is at work and that he's good thing that my faith is being tested in? What do you mean that there's this good fruit that God is producing inside of me? And the problem is, is that oftentimes when we think of patience, especially as it relates to trials, oftentimes what we think of patience is delayed gratification. That's kind of how we address patience in our world, is that we think, I really want this thing, I really want this outcome, and something kind of gets in the way and prevents us from that outcome or that thing, and we just say, okay, if I'm patient enough, I will eventually get that outcome or that thing that I really want. And when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, and when James talks about trial, and when he talks about patience here, or steadfastness as it's used in the ESV, he's not talking about delayed gratification. He's not talking about us eventually getting that thing that we want. Instead, he says that trial has come, and what we need to do is to enter into this place of patience is actually to grow in a a deepened relationship with God, a deepened presence with God. And in growing in this deepened relationship and presence with God, God is going to do something within us. He's going to transform us. He's going to grow us. He's going to shape us. And he's going to bring us to this place of perfect perfection and completeness, lacking in nothing. And so there's some good news in our trial. The bad news is that it doesn't always mean that we're going to get the gratification that we want on the other end of it. Instead, I think we get something far more. We get Jesus, we get God, we get deeper relationship with Him and a deeper faith in Him. And through Him, we can face anything. A lot of times when we enter into trial, I think what happens is that we face trial and we think, if I just have enough faith, I can wait out this trial and then things will be good because I'll get the thing that I want at the end, kind of this delayed gratification. I don't know about you, but when I face trial, my faith bank goes empty pretty quick. And a lot of times the, the trial overtakes whatever faith that I can muster on my own to where I'm faced with a choice. I either have to rely on God and that he's going to bring me through it, or I often rely on other things and hope that these things will bring me through it. And I've been guilty of doing both, and I think we all have. But my hope is that this morning as we think about trial and as we think about patience is that we would think about how God is transforming us and how God is growing us and how God wants us to grow nearer to him through these times of trial. And I think one of the things that I want us to focus on, the number one thing that I want us to focus on this morning is how do we engage God in our time of trial? How do we engage him? How do we allow him to do this work of transformation while we wait patiently for him to bring us to this place of perfection, completeness, and lacking nothing? How do we engage in that? And I think one of the ways that we engage with God and grow in relationship with him is through prayer. Is through prayer. And so this morning I want to focus on how do we pray when we're faced with gut-wrenching trials? How do we pray? How do we grow in relationship with God? And the biggest thing that I want us to walk away with this morning is that when we're faced with trial, the goal is not to get to it, get to the end of it quickly and get to gratification. But the goal of our trials needs to be to grow in relationship and depth with Jesus and allow him to surprise us with the love and the grace and the mercy and the companionship that we've longed for all along. And so to do this, to kind of grow in this place of prayer through trial, I want to look at a prayer of David's in one of the Psalms. So I want us to go to Psalm 
142. And the beautiful thing about one of these psalms is that this psalm of 142 is that it's actually found in a real context, in a real situation in David's life. A lot of the psalms we get, we don't really know where David wrote them. We really don't know in what context or what's really going on that he finds the inspiration for the words that he writes down in the psalms. But this one, scholars have linked to a very specific location in the timeline of his life. And so as you turn to Psalm 142, I'm going to set up the context for you real quick. David (laughs) has been anointed by Samuel. He's been anointed. He's been God's chosen one to be the next king. The problem is he's not king. Saul's king. And David goes to work for Saul. David submits to Saul. David (laughs) serves Saul as if Saul is king. Eventually, Saul gets jealous of David, and he wants to to end David's life because he begins to see David as this threat to the throne. And so David goes running for his life. He loses everything he knows. He's by himself. He's alone. He's tired. And Saul and all of his army is searching the land for him. And he finds himself in this cave. And we read in 1 Samuel chapter 20, it says this, 22, says this, it says, David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adam. And so it's here in the middle of David's trial where he's being hunted down to be executed that David prays this prayer and lays out his complaint before God. And so I'm going to read to you guys Psalm 142. It is with my voice I cry out to the Lord. With my voice I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. When my spirit faints within me, you know my way. In the path where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see there is no one who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. I cry to you, O Lord, and I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. And bring me out of prison, that I might give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me, and you will deal bountifully with me. Would you guys pray with me this morning? Dear God, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for this prayer that you've given David. We thank you that we were able to reflect on it this morning. And God, I want to come to you this morning with thanksgiving for the trials that we face. And God, I pray that you'd give us eyes to see and ears to hear that these trials that we face are opportunities to grow in relationship and love with you. So God, I just pray that this morning through your Holy Spirit that we would hear your voice, that we would hear your voice of mercy and compassion and of love and grace in our lives. And God, I pray that you would fill us up in the ways that we are lacking, the ways that we are reaching to the wrong things to fill us up, God. God, I pray that you would just fill us in in the way that only you can. And God, that we would walk away this morning with strength, renewed and encouraged in your spirit. For you are so good. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. And so David, he's facing this trial. He's alone. He's in a cave. He's exhausted. He's being hunted down. And David goes and he prays in this place. 
of deep trial. And so the question is, oftentimes, how do we pray in our times of trial? And it's a question I get a lot. What can I say to God when everything kind of hits the fan? Am I allowed to be angry at God? Am I allowed to be frustrated with him? Am I allowed to really tell him how it is and how I really feel like it's going for me? And I would say, yes, absolutely. God can handle that. He can handle that at whatever level that we're at. There are places in my life where I have said some really awful and obscene things to God in the middle of my trial. And I know that he's heard it, and I know that he's been gracious, and I know that he's been good. And the beautiful thing is that I believe that through this prayer of David's, we can learn some things on how we can approach God in a more mature way than just kind of like letting him have it all. But I want you to say that I'm with you and I know what it is to just be like, here it is, all of it, and I'm really upset. And I think David's doing that right now. He opens up his prayer with, with my voice I call out to the Lord, with my voice I plead for mercy. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell him my trouble before him. He opens up and he's just like, this is what's going on, God. I am frustrated. Things are not going the way I want it to. I'm the ordained king, but I'm not king. What is going on? You can see the frustration. You can see and hear the tension in his voice. And so I love the honesty of David in the very beginning that he just opens up with a cry to God. He just cries out to God. God, hear my voice. The next thing that we see David doing is that he humbles himself. When we go to verse 3, we see that he humbles himself and he says, my spirit faints within me, but you know my way. I don't know about you, but whenever I find myself in a place of deep and dire trial, the next step in front of me is often filled with confusion and darkness. And if I try and take that next step on my own, on my own strength, it's with fear and trembling. And I think that there is much rest in knowing and just being able to say, God, I trust you that you know the next step in this trial, that you know the next step, that I don't have to come up with the answer on my own. Because I think, honestly, we're in a place where it's just like, I have to muster that up. I've got to know the next step. I've got to know the right answer. And here David's saying, I don't know the next answer. I don't know the next step. I just know I'm in this cave. God, you know my way, and I'm going to trust you in that. So he humbles himself, and he allows God to show him what the next step is. And then he continues to cry out. He doesn't just begin with crying out and like take a pause and be like, God, I trust you, everything's good now. He then goes back to his complaint. In verse 4, it's really brutal. It's really dark. He's like, look to the right and see there's no one who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. Now, I don't know about you, but when you face trial, oftentimes it is incredibly, incredibly isolating. One of my favorite kind of spiritual voices I listen to is Henry Nouwen. Um, He writes that pain that we experience is incredibly unique to us in our own situation. That when we go to someone else and we say, hey, I know what it's like. I've been there. We almost do a disservice to the pain that that person's experiencing because it is uniquely theirs. Even though you might have experienced a similar circumstance, the way that they're experiencing that pain could relate in some ways, but oftentimes is not the direct relation to the way that you experience that pain. And so we oftentimes do an injustice when we come and say, hey, 
I'm going to put my arm around you. I, I've been there. I know, I know what you're feeling. I know what you're doing. I think that there's ways that we can do that, and, I think that, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But I just want to say that like, our pain and our trial is isolating. I think it's one of the, the key <laughs> motives of the devil and one of the key ways that the enemy singles us out and tries to prepare us for destruction. And the beautiful thing is that <laughs> he turns to the correct place to find relationship and community and the perfect person that is able to understand his pain uniquely and specifically, and that's the Lord. We see him turn into verse 5. He says, You are my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. For as much as our pain is uniquely ours, there is still one person who fully understands, who fully grasps, and fully knows, and is able to comprehend, and who has experienced that pain, and it's Jesus Christ. And so David turns to him, and he says, you are my portion in the land of the living. Now, I don't know about you, but when I face trial, a lot of stuff in life begins to not matter anymore. Stuff that used to matter doesn't matter. And when you've kind of gotten to this place of where you've lost everything, you begin to understand what does matter. And what happened here is that, and this is often the crux for people in trials, is we, either, we have a choice. We can either turn to the Lord and say, you are my portion in the land of the living, you are my refuge, or we often turn our backs on him and say, no, God, you're the one that's doing this to my life, you're the one that's hurting me, so I'm going to back away. And I think what happens is that <laughs> as Christians, especially, it's oftentimes the Christians I see that do this to God. I mean, it's been <laughs> everyone, but a lot of times with a religious background, they will be the people most likely to say, God, you're hurting me, I don't know why you're hurting me, you're supposed to be this good, awesome God. I'm going to go over here now. And I, and I think that we see this manifest in the garden. Genesis chapter 3. Eve is in the garden. God has said, hey, don't eat from that tree over there. The serpent comes up and says, hey, you want to eat from this tree over here? And she's like, no, I'm not supposed to eat from that tree over there. He's like, did God really say? Is God holding out on you? Is your God not as good as you think that you are? And she's like, maybe he's not as good. And she takes that fruit and she buys into that trap. She gets baited. And I think a lot of times we bait ourselves and we fall into that same doubt, that same temptation that Eve had, that maybe God isn't that good. Maybe God doesn't have my best interest in mind. And this is where we need to have an image of the cross. The image of the cross is the place where we see that God has withheld no good thing from us. He's given us His Son. His son left his throne and he came down to earth and he lived and he walked among us. He healed us. He encouraged us. And he gave us life. And he died on the cross for us and he was resurrected. And so to say that, oh, our God is not a good God and he's withholding things from me is to have a bad understanding of who our good God is. We need a vision of the cross that says our God is good that will allow us to be able to face trial head on when things get tough to be able to say, Lord, you are my portion. You are all I have in the land of the living. And that's incredibly, incredibly profound. In verse 6, he realizes that he cannot save himself. He says, deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Again, he humbles himself in this place of trial, says, I can't do this on my own. And then finally in verse 7, he ends with kind of this idea of thanksgiving and expectation. 
He says, free me from this prison so that I can give thanksgiving to you. I don't know about you, but whenever I face trial, one of the things that I need the most is I need to hear stories of God's faithfulness in other people's lives. And I also need to be reminded of God's faithfulness in my own life because no matter what trial we're facing now or will face in the future, there are past trials that we've already faced. And God's already come through and He's already been faithful. And I know, I've been there where it's like I become blind to everything that God has done for me in the past. And I have this fear that like, yep, just because He's done it in the past, I don't know if He's going to come through again in the future. I don't know why. But trial after trial, I see God's faithfulness. I see God's love. I see God doing this work of bringing about perfection in me as we move through our trials. And so, this is incredibly significant, and, it's, and it has this almost expectation. And so we need to move to this place of expectation that God is going to deliver us from this trial. We don't know how long it's going to take, but we trust and know that he's going to do it because he's done it for us already in the past. These are some things that we can take away from David. It's this resting in expectation, knowing God that he is going to save us from it. And what's beautiful about this prayer of David is that his prayer gets answered. His prayer gets answered. If we continue in 1 Samuel and we start still in verse 1. So verse 1, kind of verse 1a was David left there and he hid in a cave. And then it continues on. It says, and then his brothers and his father's house heard it and they went down there to him. And then everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter... They gathered around him, and he became commander over them, and there were around him about 400 men. I mean, listen to the way that this prayer ends. He says, the righteous will surround me, and you will deal bountifully with me. This is the prayer David has in his trial, and this is how God answers his prayer. He brings his family over, and then a bunch of people that are, quite frankly, really messed up. The debtors the people that are disheartened, the people who are bittered, these are the people that come and surround him. Now, I don't know about you, but this group of messed up people that comes around David and supports him in this time of trial while he's hiding out in this cave sounds a lot like, to me, the church. It sounds a lot like you and me. I know we've got some people in debt. I know we've got some embittered souls. I know we've got some messed up stories. These guys are in trial, too. But yeah, they're coming to the aid of this guy, and this is how God answers David's prayers, that he surrounds him, and this righteous people that he's talking about is this just ragtag group of people that understands that the Lord is their refuge and their portion among the living. Love this psalm because we see it prayed in a time of trial, and we see it answered in Scripture. And so what we need is, number one, to cry out to God. We need to cry out. We need to enter into that vulnerable place with him. And like I said, depending on who you are and the way you're bent, that could be an incredibly natural thing for you to do. It could also be an incredibly unnatural thing for you to do. Like I said, the unnatural bit comes out of this lack of faith that God is not good and that God is hurting me right now and that God's just being a meanie and that he's testing me and I hope that I don't fail his test 
And if I just wait long enough with enough big enough faith tank, I'll end up with what I wanted in the first place, and he'll give me everything that I wanted. That's, that's one way that we could look at it. And I think that in some ways that's how some of us face our trials. Because we're just like, if I can just grind it out with God long enough, I'll get what I really wanted. And then there's this other place of entering into our trials that says, all right, God, I'm going to submit to you. I can't save myself in this. This is too big for me. I'm overwhelmed with this. I need you and I need your help. And honestly, I just need deeper relationship with you. And I'm with you wherever you take me. Wherever you take me, whatever you bring to me, I'll know that that's from you and that's better than anything that I could ever muster up on my own. Now, we don't get any commentary from David at all. But when David says the righteous will surround me, I don't know if he's thinking that this ragtag group of like indebted, indebted, bitter people are like the people that are going to come and do it. But these are the people that God brings. And these are the people that God uses to deliver David and to bring him out of this cave, out of this fear, out of this place of trial. And I believe that it's the, the group of people that God wants to use to bring you out of your trial as well. And so not only do we need to cry out to God in our own world, in our own life, and just plead with him. Just take this prayer and make it your prayer. Put your complaint in there. (laughs) But we also need to pray out and cry out with one another. We need to, while we're doing life together, let down our walls of privacy and invite us into each other's trials and say, hey, I'm really struggling with this. I need you to cry out with me. I need you, you know, I'm not looking for you to have the answers. I just need you to pray with me. I just need you to come beside me in this. I need you to cry out to God with me in this place of trials. Because like I said, it's in this place of trial that Satan will try to isolate us and make us feel alone. And so what we need to do is we need to invite people into trial and we need to step up into people's trials. And so when someone invites you into their trial, what you should not do, and I've been guilty of this, what you should not do is sit there like one of Job's friends and like be silent for seven days. I've been there. I had a friend extremely hurt because she experienced trial. She invited me into it, and it was way too overwhelming for me. I really didn't know what to do with it. I was like, Job's friend sat for seven days. I guess I'll do that. And then she came back to me, and she's like, Why aren't you doing anything? I needed you to pray with me. I needed you to be beside me. Like, why are you just sitting there? I needed you to at least affirm something. And so I just want to encourage us, as we are invited into people's vulnerable spaces of trial, we need to step up into it and we need to engage them. And the way that we engage them is not by saying, hey, you know what, I've been there too. But what we need to do is say, Man, we need to validate that say it's, that is a very difficult trial. Well, let me cry out to God with you in that. Let me pray for you for strength, for courage. Let me pray that God would give you eyes to see and ears to hear how he's growing you. Let me remind you how God is your portion in this land of the living. Let's put this trial into some perspective. And it can be the most horrific thing, but we need to be able to step up and engage in a way that leads people to Christ, leads them into this place of refuge that only he can provide. Because we can't provide the shelter. 
There's a lot of times we like to be rescuers. We like to be helpers. We like to, we, want, we need to be needed. We thrive off of that. This is not that place for you. Jesus is the one that they need. They don't need you. But they need you to point them and encourage them and move them towards the refuge that is Christ. That it's going to bring peace. There's a time in college when I went through incredibly deep trial and pain and hurt and sorrow. And one of the most profound things happened. I had one of my closest friends. He texted me at lunchtime as I'm eating lunch. He's like, hey, man, I just want you to know that I'm praying and fasting for you today. I'm like, what? Like, here I am, I'm eating food, and I'm like, and you're not eating food right now? And the reason why you're not eating food is because of me? I mean, that encouraged me to get some perspective around my hurt. And to also know that there was someone else crying out with me. And that they were taking their crying out pretty seriously because they're going out with food. And I love me some food. <laughs> and I know that my friend loves some food, and so this is a big deal. And the cool thing is, is when you invite people into trial with you, is that it encourages them to grow also in their faith and also in their relationship with God. Because of my trial and because I was vulnerable with my friend, he's now praying and fasting. I guarantee you he wouldn't have been praying and fasting before. But he's praying and fasting now. And as I know you guys, and as Rebecca and I know you guys, as we know the trials that you guys face, I want you guys to know that in the evenings as we're going down to bed, we cry out for you guys by name, by situation, by what you're facing. I want you guys to know that you are not alone in this. But it was because you guys were vulnerable enough to share your trial with us that we're now praying and crying out at night in ways that we've never had in our marriage before. And so I want to thank you guys for being vulnerable. I want to encourage us to do this more, to be vulnerable more, to be able to step into each other's place and to be able to use words to encourage one another and love one another when life is in the hardest place and point us to that refuge that is in Christ. But it's not just us individually that are facing trials. It's not just us in this room that are facing trials, but it's also our city. God has planted Damascus Road Church in the city of Verona for a purpose. And he has a, he has a reason that we're here. There's a reason that God has us at the senior center. There's a reason why we've survived the merge. There's a reason why you guys are sitting here this morning. There's a reason why he has us here and has plans for us in the future, to love and serve the city well. And I believe it's because this city has built itself a number of personal refuges that are not around Christ. And a lot of times when we reach for our own personal refuge, they're more like a narcotic that numb us to the pain that we're experiencing without ever bringing any type of healing or restoration to the pain and the wounds that we have experienced. And I believe that this city is full of people that are hurting, and that are, have reached out to their own places of refuge, whether that be their home, whether that be their work, whether that be their wealth, whether that be their choice of substance. The city with the big yards, with the big garages, with the big houses that appears to have everything together is hurting and dying. 
And God has placed us, Damascus Road, here to come in and break through that and to move them towards this place, this refuge that is Christ, where real healing, where real rest, where real restoration can be found. And so we need to cry out for our city. We need to start praying to God, God save this city. God save Verona. The hope of Damascus Road being here in Verona is that some more people in Verona on the west side of Madison will come to know Jesus. That's it. And to cry out beside them. And so we start by crying out ourselves with our own trial. We move to crying out with others, and then we need to move to this place to where we also cry out with our city. Because I believe that Jesus wants to save our city. I believe that he wants to give us eyes and ears to go and love and serve our city in ways that it has not been loved and served yet. And I understand that as we look into that, it looks like, guess what, a blank space. We don't know where the next step is. We're in this place where it's like, God, you know my ways. He says, my spirit faints within me. The path where I walk, they've hidden a trap for me. Sorry, I'm in the wrong spot. Yeah, my spirit faints within me, and you know my way. That's the verse I wanted to say. You, he knows the way of Damascus Road. He's put us here, and he's the one that's leading us. And what I believe is that we need him to give us the courage that's required to go out and love his people in this city. And that's going to be an incredibly uncomfortable and incredibly unnatural thing for us to do. I get that. You're sitting here, you're like, I don't love talking to people. I really love my house and my garage and my big yard. I, it's enough for me to wake up and come to church and go to work. What are you asking me to do, Justin? I'm asking you to do something, frankly, supernatural. And it's something that you can't do on your own. And it's something that I can't do on my own. Even though I'm kind of the extrovert in the room, going up to people and strangers and knocking on people's doors, it also terrifies me too, okay? Just so we're like on the same page. And so this work that we have to do as the church here in Verona is a supernatural work. And we're going to need Jesus and his Holy Spirit to give us the courage to go do it. And the reality is, is that all of this is supernatural work. We need courage to be vulnerable with God and to trust him. We need courage to be able to be vulnerable with each other and to trust each other. And I think it's just most pronounced and most profound when we look at our city and say we need courage there too. And so my prayer for us this morning is that we would be a church that cries out to God. That we would be a church that's growing in relationship with Him. And that we would be a church that hears where He is opening doors and challenging us with courage to go and to love His people where He has placed us. Because it is not an accident that we are here. It is not an accident that we sit around tables the way that we do. It's not an accident that the way that we've been doing any of this. And so it's my hope this morning that we would see each other as this kind of ragtag group of people. The people in debt, the people kind of disheartened, the people that are embittered. But that it's through this ragtag group of people that the Spirit of God lives, that the Spirit of God wants to love and serve each other, and the city. So let's just, let's go do it. Let's go bring each other closer to him. 
and allow him to do the healing work that he has, that only he can do. Amen. You guys pray with me. Dear God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time that we come together and hear from your word. And God, I thank you again just from your word from King David. As he's alone, as he's isolated, as he's in his place of trial. And God, we come to you in a similar place and we cry out to you, God, hear us. Hear the complaints that are in our hearts. Hear the brokenness and God, may you bring the healing that only you can. God, we pray for our city and we cry out for her here in Verona. And God, we pray for inroads, for new ideas, for fresh vision, to be able to love her and serve her in ways that point people back to you. And God, we know that, that just begins by crying out for her and trusting you with the next step. And so here we are, God, we cry out to you and we ask for your grace and for your love and for your affection to be evident in us. In your name we pray. Amen.